0: Welcome to Being Eve. I'm your host, Casey Alexis, and this podcast is designed for the everyday woman who seeks to do more than just survive. You want to thrive. The goal is to inspire, empower, and encourage you as you find commonalities within my story and the stories of some extraordinary guests. Join me as we dive into this brand new episode. Hey there, ladies. Welcome back to Being Eve. I am so excited to have you alongside with me again this week as we continue the conversation on identity. Today, we have a good one. Today, we're talking about death, by religion. That's right. Death by religion. I know that title sounds provocative to some, but in reality, that is truly one of the ways that identity becomes destroyed is through religion, specifically identity in Christ. But before we get into all of that, let's recap what we talked about in last week's episode. We talked about how the fall of man produced fallen children. What was the rescue plan God put in place for us? How God redeemed women. Why Christ's birth is so important. What does it truly mean to be born again? A detailed overview of the born again process. We also discuss why Christ's death is just as important as his birth, the power behind the prophetic announcement of the words, it is finished, and why those words are so important for every believer. And we talked about so much more. So if you have not, caught that episode, I highly recommend that you stop right here. Even though Death by Religion is an extremely important episode, I want you to go back and listen to uh, episode 4.1 and 4.2 because guess what? Without those episodes, you won't understand this one. And so if you go back, you'll get the foundational pieces that you need to continue on this important conversation and journey in regards to identity, identity in Christ. So, Ladies and gentlemen, if gents, if you're listening, (laughs) let's jump right in. Okay, so in last week's episode, we captured the story behind John chapter 3, right? When Nicodemus Came to Jesus in regards to what does it mean to be born again. One of the specific areas that I want you ladies to concentrate on, if you go to John chapter 3, and I highlighted it in last week's episode. If you notice, I said it twice. This man came to Jesus, this is verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night by night you see Nicodemus was a religious figure of that time he was a teacher of the law and so the fact that he came to Jesus at nighttime is very important because he did not want everyone else to see him because if everyone else saw him going to Jesus it would highlight something very important that he went to Jesus as a religious teacher a religious teacher was that was renowned right Nicodemus was not um just any religious teacher he was a renowned religious teacher and he came came to Jesus to ask him a question. What does it mean to be born again? And that conversation is so important because it highlights the fact that in order to have an identity in Christ, we must be born again because the Adamic nature, the fallen nature is not the identity of Christ. Christ came so that we can now identify with something new, something greater, something better. He came so that we can have a new covenant, a new covenant that went past what was the old covenant, the old covenant, what Moses brought in through the law. Jesus came to fulfill it through The new covenant and so when he talked to nicodemus about being born again that conversation john chapter 3 is so important to us because it highlights the fact that in order to have our identity in christ we cannot still hang on to that adamic fallen nature we must be born again not through the flesh but through the spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, highlighting the fact that we're now in Christ. And so this conversation with Nicodemus is so important because that is what is different about religion. Religion is defined as a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. The service and worship of God or the supernatural. Commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. The state of a religious, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith religion can be something that you actually do over and over again, repetitive in nature, right? Um you may go to the bathroom and you have to religiously do this one thing in order to feel clean. So that is also a, a significant part of what it means to be religious, doing something religiously. And so with that being said, the fact that Jesus highlighted in this conversation you must be born again should highlight to us The importance of no longer living under the Adamic nature of man. So going back to that conversation that Nicodemus had with Jesus and the fact that Nicodemus is a representation of a religious system of that time. He was a representation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the representation of the law. And here is Jesus having a conversation with him and saying, listen, this is no longer suffice. I've come to fulfill it. And in order for you to have it, you must be born again. So being religious, operating under that religious nature, trying to suppress the Adamic nature through rules, laws, and all that other stuff, it doesn't work. You must be born again, born of the spirit and not of the flesh. Because one of the things that the law did, and the Bible speaks of this, I believe in Romans chapter eight, you can go to it, that's one of my favorite, favorite uh, chapters in the book of Romans, is the fact that the law highlighted The flesh. It highlighted sin. We know sin is sin because of the law. And so once you know something is wrong, what does your flesh want to do? It automatically wants to do it. Once you realize that eating this specific thing is not good for you, your body automatically wants to succumb to that thing because the flesh, the body, the Adamic fallen nature is always at war with the things of God. If God says, go right, Trust and believe your body's going to want to go left. If God says go forward, trust and believe your body's going to want to go backward. If God says to do this, your body's going to want to do that. And so that is the constant war. If you can feel me, <laughs> right, give me a high five in the air because I'm high fiving you right now. That as soon as you decide that you want to do something for God, your flesh is like, nah, fam, I don't want to go down that route. I'm going to go down this route. And so that's the constant friction that we. We have under that religious law, but Christ says you must be born again, born in the spirit and not of the flesh. Now, Let me make this very clear. This does not mean once you're born again in the spirit, your body is not going to be against you wanting to do the things of God. What you have in the spirit is the ability to overcome. When you continue to feed your spirit the good things that it needs in order to grow, in order to thrive, guess what becomes less and less? Your body, your flesh. At some point in your walk is going to continue to learn how to submit to the things of God and you won't have that constant friction. But there are some other things that um, can also uh, cause that friction and we won't get it into it in this episode. It'll probably be way down the line in the season, but I wanted to just capture the difference between religion and being born again, because that is very important to this topic of conversation. So let's continue on. Religion kills, steals, and destroys the true nature of being born again through Christ Jesus. How do I know that? Well, Jesus is a very great example of the religious system and how it literally, when he began to walk in his full calling his full ministry how the religious systems could not stand him the pharisees and the sadducees tried to kill him not one time during the time of the crucifixion but multiple times it just wasn't that particular time but they tried many a times to get their hands on jesus and try to trap him because they could not stand him the religious system cannot stand a true believer in christ jesus A religious system can't work with it. It wants to suppress the spirit. The spirit moves, the spirit lives, the spirit breathes. And so when you see the spirit moving, the religious mind can't understand it. The religious spirit cannot understand it. And throughout this episode, you're going to hear me refer to religion as a spirit because it's something that you cannot see. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We know that through the Bible, through scripture in Ephesians 6 verse 10, we do not war against flesh and blood. The blood. Jesus understood and knew that when he was on this earth that he was not warring against physically the Sadducees and the Pharisees because it's a war that they he knew that they could not win. All he had to do was command the angels concerning him and that would be that. But he knew there was a spirit behind them. It was a religious spirit that wanted to steal, kill, and destroy what he came to do. It's important for you guys to know that so you know I'm not picking on anyone I'm not pointing the finger, I'm not judging but what I am called to do is to call that thing out. And what I am also called to do is to call you out, to call you out from that very lifestyle of that religious spirit and say, there is more. There is more in Christ Jesus. If your identity is in the fact that you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, or anything else in that regard, and something happens in this world that shakes the foundation of your religious beliefs, you are going to fall. And you are going to begin to question God because Christ calls us to come out from the world systems and be separate. He calls us to be in the world, but not of it. He calls us to be in Christ Jesus, meaning that our identity, our ID should be in Christ. And so I hope that you ladies and gents, if you're listening, are realizing that and coming into the understanding that we can no longer operate under the the ways we used to operate in the former because the world is changing. Since 2020, we have been hit nonstop with things after things, after things that is meant to shake our beliefs, shake our core, shake our understanding of God, shake the very things that we used to identify with and hold, shake this nation. Just the presidential election alone and what transpired on January 6th was meant to shake this nation. So if I sit here and and just act like things are normal and continue to talk about the things that I used to talk about, guess what? Maybe I'm not awake. And so these conversations is meant to wake you up. It's meant to say, hello, we are in different times and in different times, right? In different times, it's called to have different measures. Our understanding has to go deeper. We need to have a fullness of God because guess what? It's not going to work anymore to have our feet in and out to be dibbling and dabbling. That's not going to work. We're going to need the Lord. We're going to need the Lord. We're going to need Christ in these situations that are happening now and the situations that are happening to come. Look what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now. I'm pretty sure those systems are being shaken because maybe they didn't see this coming. Maybe they didn't think this was going to happen. And so we want to make sure that In season and out of season, we are always prepared because guess what the Bible says in Amos chapter three, verse seven, that before the Lord does anything in the earth, He shares his counsel with his prophets. That means as children of the most high God, we are supposed to be aware before anything happens in this earth, what is going to come so that we can prepare and that we can begin to sound the alarm and say, hey, wake up. Something is coming. That's going to shake us to our core. Something is coming. We have to begin to prepare. Something is coming. And so this is that warning and that calling to come out of those religious mindsets and systems that you've been in for so long that you no longer understand the things of God. This is that clarion call. Come out and be ye separate. Now is the time. I'm not telling you to leave your church. I'm not telling you to abandon um, your places of worship. What I am telling you is that your mindset needs to change. Your heart needs to align with that mind so that you can begin to walk and talk and identify with Christ. And then if God tells you to leave that place, then he will tell you to leave that place. But what I am telling you is now to get your mind and your heart and your spirit back in alignment with the Lord. All right. So going back to Jesus and his entire ministry, when Jesus walked upon the earth, his entire ministry was in contention with the religious people of that time, that religious spirit. It was constantly a battle between him, of course, the disciples and them, because Jesus was a reminder, a distinct light kind of put them in the dark that the fact that they weren't walking in a specific way they didn't operate in the power that God called them to operate in and so Jesus highlighted that he highlighted their hypocrisy he highlighted their inconsistencies he highlighted the things that they weren't doing the fact that they weren't helping the poor he highlighted the fact that people were suffering around them while they were living the life of luxury while they were eating the finest meals people were suffering and so he was was a walking contradiction to them and they hated him for it. That spirit behind them hated him for it. And so it was a constant battle. And of course they didn't submit to it. That's why Nicodemus came in the nighttime. He didn't want to submit to that. He wanted to ask. He knew that there was something different. He even said, you have to be from God to be able to do the things that you do, but still he remained. And it was a spirit of pride. Religion and the spirit of pride walks hand in hand. What does pride look like? Pride is puffed up. Pride sees themselves as self-important. And so a lot of religious people with a religious spirit and a religious mind, they don't like to be shown a mirror. They don't like to be told about themselves. They actually cannot even see it. When you try to explain something to a religious person, there's going to be contention, especially when it is something that's going to point out their inconsistencies, point out their faults, point out the things that they do that's not good, they're going to contend with you. How do I know that? Because I used to operate under that spirit. So I'm speaking from experience. I used to operate under the religious spirit and it was terrible. I used to be that. I used to walk in that. And so I know that a religious spirit, half of the times they can't see themselves. Okay. They're just completely blind to their own behavior. They will offend you and say you offended them them. So I want to talk about some of the signs of a religious spirit because we talked about pride. The other sign of a religious spirit is they care more about rules than they care about people. But what does that look like? Throughout Jesus's ministry, there are plenty examples of what that particularly looks like, but I wanted to highlight one particular area of scripture for you guys because it kind of captures it all. And so Turn with me to John chapter nine. Now I'm gonna read the whole thing because this here chapter, okay, it captures everything. So let's begin. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left washed and came back seen. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know. He said, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again, how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. He told them I washed and I can see some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? The man said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the the man's parents of the one who received his sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one who says he was born blind? How then now does he see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is what his parents said, he is of age, ask him, So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're the man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing. The man told them, you don't know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. You are trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say, we see your sin remains. There's so much to dissect in this particular scripture. One of the things that caught my attention is in verse chapter three, where the disciples asked who sinned and Jesus had to say, no, no one sinned. A lot of times the religious spirit will often say or blame or judge a situation in the wrong way. Religious spirits are often very judgy. They look at a situation based upon their own flesh, their own thoughts and their imaginations and 99.99% of the time it's wrong. And so that was one of the things that I caught. In regards to the religious spirit is the fact that a lot of times they judge things wrongly. They are super self-righteous, holding people to things that they themselves cannot do. And so that's one of the things that I caught with that. Another thing that I caught with the religious spirit is how people receive certain manifestations of the spirit of God. When a religious spirit sees a person gets healed, A religious mind doesn't understand those types of things, right? Because a religious spirit will say, well, that's not for this time. We're not supposed to be able to heal and set free and deliver right now. We're just supposed to wait on the Lord and just trust in God for his return. And nine times out of 10, a religious spirit will attack what they don't understand. And so a religious spirit will come against the works of God and say, it's not so. How can this man do this thing? He cannot be from God. Why? Because you didn't send him. A religious spirit is not involved in a certain thing. It won't confirm it because it's like, no, we didn't send it. We didn't put our stamp on it. So a lot of you guys have all of these gifts and ministry that God has called you to. But guess what? You're in a place of worship where the religious spirit abides. And they don't want to see that calling or that gift manifest because they don't understand it. They don't understand it. So they want to stifle it. They want to kill it. They want to destroy it. So they're telling you, no, we don't want that here. No, you can't speak in tongues here. No, you can't lay hands here. No, you can't use anointing oil here because we don't understand it. And if we can't understand it, you cannot operate in it. And so a religious spirit oftentimes will go against what God has given us, these gifts of the spirit that he has given us to prove through signs and wonders. And most of all, It confirms who he is. Deliverance, salvation, being set free from strongholds confirms that God is a deliverer, confirms that God will set us free, confirms that he doesn't want us to be bound. He wants us to be free. And so a religious spirit will often kill, steal, and destroy signs and wonders performed by God because they can't understand it and they can't do it. And so a lot of times they operate from a space of envy and jealousy. And of course, if the religious spirit is operating from a place of um, Satan, it definitely does not want that to come out because that confirms who God is. And Satan never wants God to be glorified. He always wants to steal, kill, and destroy God's glory for himself. Another thing that I want to highlight and capture for all of my church hurt people, right here. John chapter nine, verse 35 to 41. My church hurt people. This whole section is for you. Let's look at it. That man, he began to tell the religious teachers, I don't know what you want from me. I already told you what happened and here you go asking me again and then he began to expose that inconsistencies about the whole conversation he's like do you want to become his follower You know, you're asking me all of these things and I don't know why you're asking me. He said throughout history, he said out of his mouth, the blind man that was restored to sight, he said throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. And here this man is doing it. And here you keep questioning me. He said, if this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And here's the religious spirit right? Remember, religious spirit operates in the spirit of pride. They say you were born entirely in sin. Who the heck are you to try to tell us about our beliefs, about who we serve? You were born in sin as if they weren't born in sin. A religious spirit never truly sees themselves. And so when they are being held accountable for what they're saying and what they're doing, they automatically start to point the finger at you. You weren't born entirely in sin, they replied. And now you're trying to teach us? And guess what that spirit did? It threw him out because a religious spirit, a prideful spirit, does not want to hear the truth. They want to operate in the spirit of pride and their religion. So they threw him out. But guess what, church people? He was thrown out of the church. He was thrown out for being different. He was thrown out for standing up for righteousness. He was thrown out for holding them accountable. He was thrown out for using the voice that God gave him to declare his healing. And Jesus stepped in. Jesus stepped in and look what he says. Church, hurt people, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So church, her people, Jesus knows that you are hurt. He knows your heart is hurting. And this is what he has to say to you. Just like he said to that man, do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe in the son of man? Church hurt people. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then the man says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, I am he. The man says, I believe. And so Jesus tells him, okay, you believe. So then focus on me, focus on me, because this is why I came into the world. This is why I came. So Jesus is speaking to you today who have left church because of church hurt. And now you're blaming God. You're blaming Jesus for being thrown out. And that had nothing to do with Jesus, but that had everything to do with the religious spirit. And the religious spirit came to steal, kill, and destroy your identity in Christ. But today is the day Jesus is telling you, oh no, who do you believe in? Who is your identity in? Is your identity in that pastor who hurt you? Is your identity in that woman of God who cursed you? Is your identity in the choir member and the choir director who did something wrong to you, cut their eyes at you? Is your identity in them or is your identity in Christ? Who do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus, the son of God? Who do you believe? And so he's calling you back today. Did you go to church for those people or did you come to serve me and love me and be in my presence and hear from me? Because if that's the case, focus in on me. Some of you have left church because of church hurt. Some of you have left the body of Christ. You left Christ. You left the things he's called for you to do. You dropped everything because of the things they did to you, the way they threw you out, the way they talked about you like a dog and you left the church and he's calling you back to him he's calling you back to his heart. He's saying, come back to me. You belong to me. I came for you. This is what I came for. And so I really want you church hurt folks to hone in on that particular part of scripture, because that's for you. Jesus knew he was hurt. They threw him out. And he said, who do you serve? Who do you belong to? Who do you believe? Come on, church folks, now is the time. That was a religious spirit that hurt you. God is calling you back to him. He loves you. He suffered and died upon a cross for you. And that religious spirit tried to steal, kill, and destroy your identity. Today, you rise up and you say to that filthy spirit, it is finished. No more will I stay away from my father in heaven because of your filthy demonic spirit that tried to kill my gift, my ministry, my call, and who God called me to be because I stood against that filthy spirit of religion. Come back to Christ, y'all. Okay, so that is where I wanted to go with John chapter 9. It really highlights the religious spirit and everything it's all about. It focuses more on rules and regulations than on people. And there's so many different scriptures that manifest, that talks about that religious spirit. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 17, where a woman was disabled. She was bent over for 18 years. Jesus also healed her on the Sabbath. And because the Bible talks in, in the book of Exodus, not working on the Sabbath, not doing any work on the Sabbath, the religious mind could not comprehend how is he healing on the Sabbath we're not supposed to do any work and Jesus is like what (laughs) what are you talking about here is this lady who was bent over for 18 years she is a daughter of Abraham she is a daughter of the promise and you telling me instead of healing her and setting her free you want me to focus on a law?" But the same law that gives you an exemption that tells you, you can take out your animals and help your animals. If your animals are stuck, you can do that, but you won't give an exemption to a daughter of Abraham that needs healing. So a religious spirit, again, all they care about are rules and reg- regulations. They're not focused on the spirit of God. Another uh, chapter, John chapter four, um, the woman at the well, that whole chapter, uh, Jesus talking to a Samaritan. That was huge because Jews at that time did not mess with Samaria. They didn't even go there, you know? And so it's important to look at that scripture as well. So those three scriptures, I kind of highlighted to point out, um, the fact that a religious spirit that was operating in the Sadducees and the Pharisees normally don't care about the people. They're focused on rules. And another thing, uh, focus on clothes. You know, if you went to a ministry at one time or another where they're like, oh, you can't wear pants, women can't wear pants. That's a religious spirit. You mean to tell me that God will keep you out of his presence because you have on some pants? Oh, absolutely not. God does not care about things like that. He will work on you eventually as you begin and continue the born again process. He will begin by the power of the Holy Spirit because you get the Holy Spirit as soon as you declare your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, he will reveal to you the things that you should put on and the things that you should take off and, you know, covering your breasts and not wearing too much tight clothes and all that other stuff. He will begin to work on that with you you. And that's through conviction. That's through relationship and growth, but a religious spirit, mm -mm -mm, they're going to tell you, no, don't come like that, but then not give you an understanding, not teach you, not show you, not equip you so that you are able to operate and walk in a relationship with God. That's a relationship based on truth and honesty, love, and experience, but more on rules, laws, and regulations. Now, mind you, I want to highlight this point here too. There's nothing wrong with rules and there's nothing wrong with laws. That's why, you know, God gave them to us very early on to the people of Israel, because that was meant to give them an identity. He, they came out of Egypt. They did not have an identity because they were slaves, but with the law, it gave them an identity. It separated them from everyone else. And so when you saw the Israelites, you know, oh, those are the Israelites. They were separate. They looked a certain way. They walked a certain way. They worshiped a certain way. So rules and laws, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. That means by the spirit, you have the law in your heart. You know, you still don't kill. You still don't murder. You still honor your mother and father. Those things are still a part of you, but they're not a part of you like a checklist. They are part of you in your spirit. The Holy Spirit checks you on those things. So I just wanted to make sure to highlight that. There's nothing wrong with rules and laws. We need them, but through the Holy Spirit, we honor the rules and laws of God. Through the Holy Spirit, we come into understanding of why God put those rules and laws in place. All right. So let's continue on with the things that come along with a religious spirit, a religious spirit makes no room for the Holy Spirit. So a religious spirit mm, does not honor the Holy Spirit because a religious spirit, once it confines the Holy Spirit, it stifles the Holy Spirit with again, their rules, their laws, their traditions. And the Holy Spirit is a spirit that operates in all truth. So there are some times that the Holy Spirit will focus in on somebody in regards to their clothes while somebody else he'll focus in on on something else but a religious spirit they will hit you in the head about your clothes but your heart is wrong you see that's why we need the holy spirit because the holy spirit won't care about your clothes if your heart is not right he wants to deal with your heart and then follow along with your clothes you know and so that's why it's important to have the holy spirit but again a religious spirit does not operate that way. They stifle this Holy Spirit. They are way too structured with limitations. They put church limits, time limits in regards to services. So a lot of times you're in a service, hour and a half, two hours max. How is the Holy Spirit supposed to freely operate through a service like that? How is the Holy Spirit supposed to set free and deliver a heart and a mind? You know how many people sitting in church? Thousands sometimes, okay? Hundreds fifties. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And there's many different people in that church with many different situations and the Holy Spirit can definitely manifest himself in an atmosphere where he is welcome. And when the Holy Spirit manifests himself in an atmosphere where he is welcomed, no one leaves the same way that wants to be changed. No one who wants to be changed will leave the same way. He comes into an atmosphere to give truth, revelation, knowledge, to deliver, to set free. He operates in a place of freedom for who the son set free is free indeed. And so when Jesus left the earth, When he said it is finished and he left the earth, he died. And then on the third day, he resurrected in fulfillment of the scriptures. He told the disciples before he would leave that the Holy Spirit would come. The Holy Spirit would be a great comforter to us. The Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will do what Jesus was doing through us. That's why he said greater works you will do. So every believer needs the Holy Spirit in order to do those greater works but a religious spirit will stifle that a religious spirit will limit that a religious spirit because it doesn't understand it will still kill and destroy that. Um, and so a religious spirit is also unequipped to handle the gifts of the spirit. A religious spirit is too rigid, too, too rigid to handle and have the Holy spirit truly manifest in an atmosphere. A religious spirit has limited perspective Limited understanding. So a religious spirit can only see one way, right? And guess what? When you only see one way, you operate in that same way with every. And you can't do that because the body of Christ has different members in the body and every member has a specific purpose. And so if your mindset is operating in just one way, guess what? You destroy that other person's abilities, that other person's gift, that other person's calling, you stifle them because you only have one perspective. You only have one limited understanding and so therefore a religious spirit operating under that way will kill, still, and destroy what you have been called to do and many other people like you. A religious spirit, as I've said before, will kill, still, and destroy what they don't understand. A religious spirit operating in someone believes themselves to be above reproach. So that's what happened when they threw that blind man out who could now see. They believed themselves to be above reproach. And so what did they do? They threw them out. When you try to hold a religious spirit accountable, they are going to throw you out. Go ahead and try and test, test me on it. <laughs> try to hold them accountable. They don't want you to tell them about nothing and they lack the ability to accept correction. A religious spirit also operates in a spirit of division, right? That's why we have so many different um, uh, sects in Christianity. The spirit of religion, it causes division. You saw that in the chapter that we read in John chapter 9. Once it was brought to the religious teachers of that day, division Automatically started to occur amongst the people because that's what the religious spirit operates under a spirit of division. And we know that's not of God because God wants us to operate the body of Christ, the church in the spirit of unity. How do we know that? I mentioned that before in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter four, where it talks about the people being of one mind and one heart. They were unified in Christ. No one lacked anything. That's how unified they were. When someone needed anything, they were right there. Everybody put their money together, their stuff together. They were so unified. And because of their unity, they were able to flip the whole world upside down right side up. And so we know that the religious spirit, that's what the enemy comes with, why? Because the enemy knows if I can divide them, I can conquer them. If I can divide them and having them focus on foolish things, uh traditional things, things that don't matter, things that don't put someone in heaven or hell, just have them focusing on the outer appearance and not the inner heart core, then I can have them be deceived and deception brings division. And so we know that the religious spirit loves the spirit of division. It causes strife. It causes contention in the body of Christ. It causes so many forms of confusion because that is what the religious spirit loves. So right here, we're going to stop because this is going to be a two-part episode. It's just too much. Um, to get into in order for this to be one episode because it's going to be over an hour. And so I'm going to stop the episode right here. So ladies, next week, tune in because that's when I'm going to talk about the top 10 ways religion kills your identity in Christ. Again, we're going to talk about next week, the top 10 ways religion kills your identity in Christ. And how you as a woman of God, how can you begin to kill the spirit of religion so that you can begin to identify completely in Christ? So that's going to be what we talk about next week. So I look forward to having that conversation with you all. I look forward to you guys hearing it. Man, it's going to be so good. See you all next week. Hey girl, have you gotten your copy of Being Eve in Adam's World? No? Well, what are you waiting for? This book is a revelatory interpretation of the very first woman to ever walk the face of the earth. Although Eve's story is very brief, there is so much to be learned from her. Heck, the podcast was named after her. When you open up the very first chapter of this book, You will begin to travel through Eve's journey, a voyage of discovery that reveals the life of every woman in some way, shape or form. At the end of each chapter, you will also find lessons from Eve to you. Each lesson derived from her personal experiences will be a guiding light on how to thrive in Adam's world. So get your copy of Being Eve in Adam's world today. You'll find the link in the show notes. Well, ladies, thank you for tuning in. I hope this episode blessed you as much as it did me. Before we depart, a quick reminder to head on over to the show notes where you will find all the info to keep in contact with Being Eve and to learn more about our guests. Make sure to let them know Being Eve sent you. Last, but certainly not least, ladies, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe. This is your opportunity to let the whole world know where we gather for absolutely free. As always, ladies, please continue to love, live, and thrive without losing the authentic you.